And I want to talk to you about Restoring Joy, our series here of late. And if you haven't heard those previous ones on Catch the Joy, uh, starting off, listen to those online. I want to talk to you this morning about abiding joy. Somebody say abiding. Abiding joy. Or the joy in Gethsemane is another title I would have for this. But Psalms chapter 16, verse 11 says this, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of, everybody say, joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness, is joy. Where does your joy come from? That's the question we're asking this morning. Where does your joy come from? Think about this. What is what is it that makes you smile on a given week, on a given uh, day? Or maybe sing or clap. And some of us that go to the ball game, you can shout, you can jump up and holler. Some of us, when our kids do well at a dance recital or whatever, we'll clap. We'll say, yeah, that's my girl, that's my boy. Uh, if it's a ball game, they hit a home run, man, you're going to jump and shout. Those things give you joy. Or maybe that big bonus check comes in and you can dance in the parking lot when nobody's looking. I don't know what it is, but what is it? That gives you joy. Joy is gladness. And we said that joy is something that's birthed in the heart. And joy always comes up and it always comes out. There's happiness and that's kind of can come and go. But joy is what comes up and out. What gives you gladness and gloom? What gives you hope on the hardest days? And like I said, for some, it's a good job. Some people are very satisfied in their job, and their job gives them, you know, accomplishment, a place to belong, something, a a purpose. Uh, But is that joy? For some, uh, it may be relaxing on vacation or hiding in the bathroom from your kids. I don't know what it is. Or a hobby uh, that you say, you know, this brings me peace and contentment. But is that joy? For some, it is, like I said, your spouse or your children. They are often a source of joy. But, you know, even your family relationships can be strained. Even some of the best, what you would think the most strongest families can often have a wayward child or lose a loved one or a divorce can happen. So even in what seemingly was joyful and and endless can be strained, can even disappoint or be lost. Even the best families in hardest days can lose sight of hope for tomorrow. Uh, We can have the frustrations of life come into our homes or our families. It can get very complicated uh, in the modern day that we live in. And how many know what it means to have your buttons pushed, right? And sometimes it's our family that does that. But what I've learned is that sometimes, uh, this is how it happens in my life, okay? You, You think you're a good person and you try to be happy and nice and courteous. But man, everything in one week can go wrong. Man, your car can break down, the refrigerator's on the fritz, your boss is mean or whatever. And it's like you have a bubble around you. And at most of the time, you are an okay, pleasant person. At least face value it on Facebook, okay? And to most people. And, and then that bubble gets pushed. And you know, that bubble can, it can take a few hits to it. But every now and then, man, it just gets popped. And when it gets popped, every little thing can set you off. How many people know what I'm talking about? Every little irritation, that, that little thing that irritates you normally would never irritate you on a normal day. But today, 
that was the, they say, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? That was just, it's just one more little thing. And if you don't just sit down and be quiet in that backseat of that car, I'm going to pull this thing over. You know, I mean, I'm, I've, had, I've had that talk, okay? It's just one more yelling. It's just the it. And then in that moment, I'm thinking, joy to the world. <laughs> you know, like, where's the joy, you know? I mean, do I have joy? Is it real joy? What is joy? Because right now... If one more person calls me on this phone and says, you know, whatever, you have those days. Because it seems like when stress piles up, what happens? We can lash out or we can retreat within. We can give up. We can start to think bad thoughts and maybe even do things that we regret. And I think the problem for many, myself included, is even with our best attempts of joy, it can be changed by my circumstances. In times of darkness or heaviness, maybe you've come to a point where you feel like you have a mountain that you cannot cross. Uh, You can be tossed to and fro by your emotions. And when stress is high, as I said, every little thing can affect your joy. So do I have true joy? Do I have the joy that the Scripture is talking about? Because where does my joy come from? And is it steadfast? And while this world may offer you financial joy, it can offer you situational joy. It can even offer you relational joy in a loved one. But Christ's joy is out of this world. You see, there is earthly joy, there is worldly joy, there is natural joy. But then there is supernatural joy. There's natural joy, but then there's supernatural joy. How many say amen to that? There's supernatural joy. Jesus came to bring that joy. The Bible says in Isaiah prophesying his coming, he would bring the oil of joy. Isaiah said when the Messiah come, he would bring light to the nations and it would be a celebratory time, a celebratory joy. He said they would have gladness or joy like the joy of when men and women take in a great harvest, which is a surplus of money for that family. Man, when you, it's like you win in the lottery. It would be like that. It would be like dividing the spoil, Isaiah said, of a hidden treasure. That man, like when you just had riches abundant and surplus and great times were happening, that would, what, that's what it would be like when you experienced Messiah. When you experience Yeshua, the Savior, it would be a joy of celebration. You see, joy in Christ is that joy that's birthed in the heart that comes up and it comes out. And it's an abiding joy for the believer. It's a joy that is steadfast and remains through every circumstance. And it's a joy that you can have in the valley. Because his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Somebody say amen. No matter where you are, the mountain or the valley, if you have Emmanuel, because Jesus is joy, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, wherever I am, wherever Jesus is, that's where joy is. And so we can have joy abiding in the valley. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about, a joy that abides in the valley. So here we are in John chapter 15. Let me give you the background. 
In John chapter 15, we have followed Jesus through his ministry. Let's just pretend this morning that we are all disciples, okay? I hope we all are. We're disciples, some of the 12 that are following Jesus. And the the ladies are, are there with us as well. And our families. And we've been following Jesus for three years. And he has led us to this moment. It's the night he's about to be betrayed. We don't know this. But this guy has led us uh, to the upper room and for supper. And now we've gone on to a place called the Mount of Olives. It's two hills. One hill is the temple. Then there's a valley. And then there's another hill, a mountain. And on that mountain is the Mount of Olives. And it overlooks the Temple Mount. Okay, Mount Moriah. And in the middle between us is what is called the Kidron Valley. And then just up the Kidron Valley, just below where we're standing on the Mount of Olives, is a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so you have the Temple Mount, the Kidron Valley. Just go up that mountain a little bit. You have the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the top of it, that's where we are, the Mount of Olives. So we're on two mountains between you know, a valley in the middle. And we're going there, and he's beginning to pray and to talk to us about things. He says, guys, there's coming a great tribulation, and you're going to be a part of this. He says, but don't worry. I'm going to leave you some peace through this guy called the Comforter, my spirit, the spirit, the promise of the Father. He's coming. He's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything I've said to you. And peace I leave with you, not like the world gives peace, but the peace I give, it's this eternal heavenly peace, okay? And it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything you ever needed is going to come through the power of the Spirit. It's going to bring you this, this great sense of communion with me. In fact, that's why I'm going to prepare a place for you so that he can come. And he begins to pray and to weep just a little. He goes down the hill just a little bit to the garden. And there he begins to pray for his disciples. And he tells them that their grief, though, is going to turn to joy. But look what he says as he's about to go down to that garden in John 15. Verse 5. He's, this is what he says. This is keys. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me, everybody say abide. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. He's talking about spiritual fruit there. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Isn't that a powerful statement? I've also loved you. Abide in my love. And let's look at these last two verses. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, here it goes, so that my joy, everybody say His joy, so that His joy, He says, my joy may be in you, and that your joy, everybody say my joy, that's your joy, may be made full. Joy. Full, that your joy may be full, joyful. That's what it means. Full of joy, joyful. So he says, guys, abide in me. I'm leaving. 
Persecution's coming. It's going to get bad. I'm leaving you the comforter. He's going to be in you. And if you would just abide in me, the Holy Spirit, you're going to produce a lot of fruit. We'll talk about that in a second. But he says, if you obey me like I've obeyed my father, because that's what I want to do. I want to obey my father. He says, abide in me, obey me, follow me, remain steadfast. That's what abide means. Remain steadfast to me, commune with me, stay in my spirit. Everything is going to be okay. I'm going to give you everything you ever needed. Why? And why do I tell you this? Why do I tell you this? So that my perfect joy will make you joyful. So that my perfect joy will make you joyful. Now, where does his joy come from? Watch this. Just in this very moment, as he's saying this, he's saying, guys, I'm the most joyful person. I'm the most joyful person, and I'm about to make you joyful. I have my joy, and it's going to make your joy overflowing and full. But guess what? He goes just a few steps further, and he starts weeping. What? Jesus, I thought you were joyful. Where's your joy coming from? He starts weeping. He starts weeping. The Bible says that he goes to this place called Gethsemane, and he begins to even sweat drops of blood. It says in Luke that he was in much agony. In that moment, the most joyful man ever to exist was sweating drops of blood. Jesus, what are you talking about? How are you going to make my joy full when you're over here crying and sweating drops of blood? We don't understand that. We don't understand that. But what happens? He begins to sweat drops of blood. He's weeping. He's fervently praying, Luke says. And at this mountain edge, the most joyful man is in agony. He begins to pray, Lord, I'm praying for these disciples. I'm praying for their joy, Lord. God, I'm praying for their oneness with you. They be one as you and I are one. God, don't let them fall. God, keep them. Keep them, Lord. Keep them, Lord. I've showed them and I've given them my word, Father. He begins to pray so fervently falling to the ground there. And here's this most joyful man. The Bible says he was a man that was despised, forsaken. Here the most joyful man becomes known as a man of sorrows. Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And it was surely it was our sorrows he bore. It was our grief he carried. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of men, forsaken by God. The most joyful man. He would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. Nevertheless, here's what the most joyful man in agony prays. He says, God, but not my will, but your will. God, not my will, but your... God, where is this joy coming from? It was not just a few chapters back. Here's what Jesus would tell them. He would say, guys, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. God, not my will, but your will. What is the Father's will? That he would have his son die on a cross so that people might live again. And what would follow that moment would be a kiss, a betrayal, and an arrest. And here the most joyful man in agony with stains of blood on his cheeks, is beaten, is hit, 
is spit upon, is arrested. And this most joyful man is led in chains through the valley. I want you to picture this this morning. The most joyful man. He says, guys, I am going to make you joyful. Guys, my joy is going to be in you. Guys, if you will abide in me, the reason I'm telling you this, abide in me, abide in me, be in me, be in me, be full of my spirit. The reason I'm telling you this is so that you can be joyful because my joy is going to be in you. But Jesus, you're weeping, you're crying, you're beaten, and he's being led through the valley. I think the, that there's a verse in Hebrews I think that really pins this very moment perfectly. Hebrews 12, 2. It says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You see, in those moments, Jesus purchased your joy in the valley. See, so no matter where you are In this world today, whether you are on a mountaintop with him or whether you are going through the valley, it was in the valley that Jesus began the process of purchasing your joy. It was for the joy that was set before him that he would endure the cross. And on that cross, he would purchase your joy and my joy. You see, his joy was not in a thing that would make him happy. His joy was not in his own happiness. His joy was not in his own pleasure. His joy was not in riches or fame or the praise of men. His joy was not in, ha- uh, in good feelings or easygoingness or in anything else. It says that his joy was to do the Father's will. You see, in crying, he was still joyful. In pain, he was still joyful. On the mountain, he was still joyful. And in the middle of the valley, in chains with sweat of blood, he is the most joyful man on the face of the earth. Why? Because he is perfectly obeying his Father. You see, I don't understand a joy like that because when I grew up in this sinful world, joy to me is happiness. It's smiling. It's laughter. It's good feelings. It's peace, it's pleasure, it's comfort, it's lightheartedness. But for Jesus, perfect joy meant one thing, obeying his Father. There was no greater joy for him than to obey his Father. He found complete satisfaction, complete purpose, complete love, complete unity, complete joy in doing whatever his Father asked of him. And at that moment, he purchased your joy. One author says this, it was a joy that came from perfect obedience, from surrendering of self at the bidding of love. I love that. It was a joy that came from perfect obedience, from the surrendering of his self at the bidding of his father's love. What is joy for you and me today? I was not perfect enough to find true joy. You see, there's nothing in this world that can give you joy but obeying God. You see, I could never do that. And I still have trouble today. I still fall short every day of the glory of God of perfectly obeying Him. But I have a Savior 
that could perfectly obey his father. And when no one could ever attain the true definition of joy, he went through the valley of sorrows and purchased my joy so that you and me and the whole world might have joyful. That we might be joyful. His joy is in obedience to die on a cross for you and for me. And see, this is what you have to find your joy in this morning. You say, Pastor Heath, my situation is not working out so good. Pastor Heath, man, my family is direct. Pastor Heath, you don't know what my body is going through. Pastor Heath, you don't have a clue. Man, the world is chaotic. And man, you know, we all could say our premiums are high and this is falling apart. And man, my car broke. But you know where your joy is? Is you have a Jesus who so loved you that he would send you his abiding spirit that would obey the Father perfectly for you, that he could purchase your joy so that when you go through the valley, your joy might be made full. Your joy might be made full in every valley. I don't know if any of you have walked through the same valley that he had to walk through. I haven't. But he did for you. So if you can't find joy in, you see, in every situation, you know what we have to do, church? We step back and say, my eyes and my thoughts are on Jesus. Lord, I know today's a bad day, but Jesus purchased my joy. You see, my joy is found in him. Jesus is joy. If you can't find joy in Jesus, you'll not find abiding joy. So how do you get it? How do you get that joy? How do you have joy in the deepest valley? How do you have joy when all your buttons have been pushed? Come on, how, when everything little is affecting you, how do you have joy when you're at your limit and everything around you is falling apart? Let me give you something a little bit lighthearted on that. This week, I really had a crazy illustration. Are you with me? Can you follow me? Okay. Everybody, who likes Jello? Jello. J E L L O. Remember that? Okay. Some of y'all. I want you to picture yourself. Just bear with me for a minute. I want you to picture yourself in a bubble of jello. Can we do that? Let's make it red, okay? Just so we're all descriptive. I want you to picture yourself in a bubble. You know, uh, I have a, a couple of staff members. One, I have one staff member here today, and I had another one in, in Missouri that would, uh, had often put some of my office equipment in jello. And if you use enough jello packets, I think the number is about 20. If you use 20 jello packets, it will be almost you know, totally gelatinous, and you can bounce it and do all kinds of stuff. So jello can kind of be a little uh, fiscus, right? It can, it can have some give to it. So if I drop a piece of paper on jello, it, light things, light things will kind of bounce off of jello, right? It's kind of gooey, you know, just small light things will kind of. And so when you have jello and you're in a bubble of jello, so light things really don't get in. But it's the heavy things, and those heavy things, they may poke through that jello, right? And they could touch you. But guess what? They're going to have jello all over them, right? I was thinking about this is random things, but I was thinking about joy this way. And joy with Jesus is kind of like that, in my opinion. It's like jello, all right? Surrounding me in a bubble. This is what I'm praying for, okay? It's one of my weird, cr- crazy prayers. I'm praying for my joy to be like jello all around me. So here's, here's the deal that means that as I go through my day, and these little things just start hitting. I want to throw this at somebody said. These little things just start throwing at you, right? Little things just start 
hitting at you. If they're light, you know, they just bounce right off. I just want the, those light things, little nagging things, little gnat-like things around you just to bounce off. You know, I don't really care. In the big scope of life, Jesus died on the cross. I'm not worried about those things, what color this is going to be, or she didn't make that phone call at the office like she's supposed to, and that paperwork didn't get it filed in the right place. Who cares, right? Come on, somebody. Who cares? There's a lot of things that people put on your plate nobody cares about. The world's not going to stop spinning because somebody didn't make a sale or because this happened or whatever. You didn't get the right price on your spare tire at the store. What? Nobody. It doesn't matter right? Let's let all those light things fall off. But you know what? In, in a Christian life, heavy things you're not immune to. You're going to go through loss and grief and despair. You're going to have disappointments. You're going to have failures. There's going to be times of regret. Heavy things are going to poke through that. Heavy things are going to poke through that. Christian life is not immune to bad times. Somebody say amen to that. We're all human. We're still going to go through it. Things, heavy things are coming. They're going to poke you. They're going to prod you. They're going to hit you. But guess what? They're going to be covered in jello. They're going to be covered in joy. I want to take everything that gets through my bubble, but realize it's covered. It's covered in jello. It's covered in joy. When it, it's it's going to taste like joy, right? I mean, lick it off of it. I don't know, but it's, it's going to have a covering. It's going to be covered in it. And I want to say, God, when light things come my way, let it just bounce off. But when heavy things get through, Jesus, may I see it covered in joy. Amen? Because Jesus is joy, and he purchased my joy in the valley for those heavy things and those hard things that no matter what I see, I see it through joy that Jesus has purchased my salvation, that Jesus was perfectly obedient for me, that Jesus died on the cross, that his joy might make my joy full. Is that good? Think about Jello on your way home today, amen? He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. Let me give you five real quick things that we can take home today. And that's this. Number one, real quick. If you want to abide in Jesus, he says, guys, you got to abide. If you want this joy thing, if you want this joy, if you want to be joyful, if you want to have that man where light things bounce off of you and heavy things are still covered and you can get your focus on me and understand if you abide in me, that is remain in me, connected to me. I'm the vine. I'm your source of faith. I'm your source of life. If I'm the one that your joy is resting in, you got to abide. How do you do that? Number one, be in the word. Number one, this year, be in the word. He says, I speak these things. That is the logos, the spoken word of God. I give you the word of God that you might have joy. Somebody say joy. You're not going to have joy in your life if you are not reading your Bible. If you don't read your Bible more than you read the news. If you don't put more of the word in you and rehearse more of the word than you rehearse the problems of life. Sometimes we can get in those negative mindsets and those negative thoughts and we speak negative things over ourselves. You need to be quoting scripture over your life. You need to be taking this word. And let me tell you something. Sometimes it's good to read this out loud so your mouth will speak it and your ears will hear it. 
Sometimes you hear negativity all day long. You need to go home and hear the word of God to those ears and clean those ears out, right? It's, it's putting it into your heart. David said, I meditate on your word in the night watches that I might not sin against you. I hide it in my heart because I'm feeding on the word. Jesus said it would be that food that he says, my food is the word of God to do the will of the one who sent me. He says, Jesus, you're hungry. He says, I've got food you know not of. It's this. To hear and take in my Father's word, my Father's will. You need to be abiding in the word of God because joy is found in the word of God. Number one. Number two is this. If you want to abide in Jesus, you need to worship. And it's not just singing a song. Worship is worshiping in spirit. Jesus said the Father is looking for such. That is, people who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. So you got the truth part in the word. The second part is worshiping in spirit. How do you do that? Number one, you got to get born again in spirit, born from above. Number two, I encourage you to get baptized in the Holy Spirit so you can sing songs. Paul says in Ephesians that we are singing melodious songs of praise, right? That it's the Holy Spirit bubbling up in you that you could just sing a song to Jesus. You don't even have to have the lyrics to it. You just in your car, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Lord, hallelujah, glory are you, so that you can, when bad things come, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, that you can just... Praise bounce those things. Just make your jello like, you know, come on, put some jello music on and just bounce those things back off. And those negative things you say, I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing of his mercies forever. Right. Just begin to worship in the Holy Spirit. If you speak in tongues, pray in tongues, sing in tongues. Just let the Holy Spirit come out of you if you want to abide in Christ. Sometimes that's why our joy ain't full. We get, I'm not against secular music, but if you listen to more secular music than Christian music, you're going to have a problem. I'm just saying, I don't preach on those things a whole lot here, but it's true. You listen to the news more than you listen to the word, you're going to have a problem. You listen to secular music more than you listen to Christian music, you're going to have a problem. What you're putting in is what you're going to get out, all right? You eat all that spicy Mexican food, you're going to have a problem, or whatever it is. Some of y'all have different digestive tracts, okay? But your heart, your spirit needs to have worship coming in so it can have worship coming out. Worship. Worship daily in the spirit. And guess what's going to come out? Jesus says, this is so you may bear much fruit. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, and things like that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You wonder why the church is in the state that it's in in so many places and Christians are joyless. It's because they're not in the word and we're not worshiping in spirit. So we're not producing joy. God, how come I'm not making joyful noises? Well, you're not abiding in the word and you're not abiding in worship. Worship. Some of us need to have worship music going all day long. Just keep one of those earbuds in when people are negative around you talking. Just they won't know. Get one of those small little Bluetooth things and just worship all day long. Number three is this pray. For abiding joy, you gotta have a relationship with him beyond the religious routine. He says, Abide in me. He says, My father and I are gonna find you. We're gonna make our home, our dwelling place with you. If you don't have a daily prayer life, you will be lacking severely in joy. I'll tell you what, as, you, as, as we've been so very busy at our church, I've noticed just 
the, the, the go, 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 and the, we've in this construction mode, and our staff normally has a staff prayer time beyond our personal prayer time at 9, and our whole building is gone, you know. And I've noticed that even among us, man, we are, we, I can sense it. It's like, man, we're missing that abiding, that connecting. And I know if you go one week without prayer, you're going to be weak, right? It, prayer, prayer is the connection, the communion. Jesus would often go up to the mountain, go in hours and hours of pray. Even on that night in Gethsemane, what do you say? Can't you just pray one hour with me? As if, guys, I've taught you to pray multiple hours and now you can't even pray one with me? How many people pray in an hour? Jesus modeled that to his disciples. And if the Son of God needed to pray hours at a time, how much more do you and I used to pray hours? You know, Jonathan Wesley, the Methodist movement leader, he said, I wouldn't even hire a pastor that didn't pray two hours a day. Wouldn't even hire one. Because prayer is the foundation for a Jesus-filled life. You are not going to get anywhere in this Christian life if you don't have a prayer life. You must be connected to the vine to produce anything of the vine. And being a church member, is not, it's not about being a part of this machine. It's not being a part of a business or a program, but being living organism tapped into the vine of Jesus Christ. God himself must be your exceeding joy. And I've said this before, God's the best psychologist you ain't got to go pay somebody. I, I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with psychology today and all that. I, I agree with that, right? And that's my background. I believe in counseling. A lot of that can be skipped, however, if you just go sit on God's couch for a little while. Go sit on God's couch. Pour your heart out to him. Number four and five are this, sacrifice and service. There is no greater proof of Christ's love than to do his Father's will. His joy was made complete and perfectly obeying his Father. And I'm wrap it up with this. Church, we cannot hope to please God if we are being disobedient to his word. If we obey him, it's because we love him. Because I appreciate what he's done. In, in John 15, 10, he said, says, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That means that I need to repent and return from sin daily and turn my eyes to God. That means I need to seek first his kingdom. I need to reprioritize my schedule with his works and his commands. That means I need to choose to forgive and turn the other cheek. That means I need to seek first all those things that are, are kingdomly minded that I get needed in my eyes on him and on his throne, that I need to put aside all these things that easily entangle me, run with endurance towards him and his, his love and his word, give to the poor, be a witness for the good news. Because self-sacrifice, one author said, at the bidding of Jesus Christ is the recipe for the highest, the most exquisite, the most godlike joy of which the human heart is capable. There is no greater joy that Jesus found but to do the Father's will. And so when we see churches that are not, or Christians in churches not invested in the poor, not forgiving one another, not seeking missions as the driving force of their church, not being about their father's business, not building up the kingdom of God, but building up themselves, their life, their material goods, their retirement packages, their pleasure, their hobbies. It's no wonder we're a bunch of joyless Christians because the most joy you'll ever have in your life 
is to do what God has called you to do. The most joy you'll ever have in your life is to do what God has called you to do. Father, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just respond to the Lord this morning. God, where is my joy coming from? Lord, I believe you have purchased joy in the valley. Guys, you have purchased my joy in the valley. So God, no matter what I go through, Father, I know I can have joy abiding in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know where your joy is found. Where's my joy coming from? Maybe this season is hard for you, whether it be loss, busyness, Maybe stress has just been all over you and and it seems like every little thing is getting to you and you just want to press pause today and say, God, just envelop me in your joy. That joy is found that Jesus went through the valley so that you could have your joy made full. This morning, I want you to focus just on what he has done for you, that he is your source of joy. How much smaller... Does all of those situations and circumstances seem in the midst of what He has done for you? How much smaller does all of the frustrations of life appear when we begin to get our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross?